Welcome to Coles on the Coast, the podcast where we talk about riding the waves of sustainability, preparedness, and living the small homestead life. I'm Charlie. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to talk about the general idea of preparedness. Um, we've talked about preparedness for hurricanes and making sure you have a universal accessories kit and a first aid kit, but I don't think we've ever actually covered the topic of preparedness. Or, as some people call it, a prepper. Or, yeah, what it means to be a prepper. So, what is a prepper? You I'm know? not going to answer that. <laughs> so, a prepper is someone who strives to be ready for the unexpected. Mm-mm. No, a prepper is someone that has a bunker 16 feet below the ground in case of a nuclear disaster. Some of those people do call themselves preppers. Um that's the kind of idea you get whenever you watch something like, um, what was it called? Doomsday preppers, right? The bunkers and the 12 bushels of wheat stored in the shed by people who unfortunately don't look like they eat anything but the American diet (laughs) and, um, learn how to make the one that I remember the best is the one where they created a cattle train out of buses. And they would do these, like, circles in the desert the way the pioneers would have done in the wagons. Did you see that one? No. (laughs) I never did watch that shit. Like, I saw one where the guy had a a safe underneath his mattress for all of his guns. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I saw there was another one, too. I don't know if he was actually homeless, but he seemed like a homeless man. But like the way <laughs> and he like had this whole plan of how to forage in the city and how to get out of the city. Anyway, and the, the bad thing about that was, is it wasn't until Doomsday Preppers came out that I even knew that there was a thing called Preppers. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you start looking on YouTube and you find like these Prepper shows, like the you know, gun shows, whatnot. Right, and you've got these people trying to sell these bunkers that cost you know tens of thousands of dollars, made out of corrugated metal and yeah. designed with air filtration systems and whatnot. And it's like, do you really need that? I mean, it sounds cool. I yeah. like that. I would like to have an underground bunker because I'm scared of tornadoes. But <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, and that's the kind of stuff I think that got people back into being scared of like nuclear bombs, right? So you had people that had the bunkers, and they would have the what is the medicine that you take in order to... Yeah, the iodine tablets. Yeah. That don't work for nuclear disasters. They only work for, you know... Well, I shouldn't say that. They don't work for nuclear attacks. They work for nuclear energy plants. Oh, okay. Nuclear okay. power plants. I don't know a whole lot about it. Because when the reactors go bad and they melt down, it puts off potassium iodide. Yeah. I remember when the show came out, my mom did have a conversation about... Where we would be safest if we needed to seal up a room and, like, how we would seal it up. And then we realized that'd be a lot of work in a very short amount of time. You know what I mean? Like, because that idea. There were a whole lot of rooms in that house that had any. Well, this was the circle house. This was. Oh. It was the round house. But for some reason, my brain went to the laundry room, which had an exterior door. So that would have been incredibly difficult. (laughs) So if, if. All right, so if Doomsday Preppers isn't preparedness, then what is it? What did we say? So, well, we were just talking about 
to get it beforehand is that the doomsday preppers, they're typically hoarders, for lack of a better word, that really, they zone in on a single scenario. Okay. And maybe a single scenario is not correct, but that's the one that you, like the shows, they're always, it's like one thing that they're really hyper-focused on. Wasn't that the premise of that movie Tomorrow Man? What's one is Tomorrow Man? The, it's got the guy from Third Rock from the Sun, the older guy, and you know he's he's a either he's a bachelor or a widower, but he he goes and he's been building this bunker in his house for all these years, and then he finds this lady that's neurodivergent and she's kind of crazy too, and he brings her in and so they're still they're building this bunker together. Right, and then they finally decide that they're being kind of crazy, and that they need to let people come in and use some of the stuff they've gathered over the years before it goes bad, and then nuclear bomb goes off in the distance. Spoilers! I just ruined the whole ending of the movie. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that one. You you were watching it on TV, and I came sat down next to you and watched it with you. Did I? Yeah. I don't remember it. <laughs> I think okay. it's called Tomorrow Man. I don't know. Okay. I'll anyway, that up later. I'm, the, my brain's going to that other one. That you had me watch, and that one was hilarious. Where oh, the, the Brandon Fraser one. Yeah, the one where they lock, accidentally lock themselves into the yeah nuclear lo- bunker for three for thirty years, and they come back out. And- they make him go out by himself. He's never been in normal society. Like yeah. she had the kid in the bunker. Anyway, okay. So, but the kind of the subject matter that we're going on today is a responsible person who is a prepper, right? Like. Charlie and I consider ourselves a light prepper. I don't well, know. We strive to be as prepared as possible, which means you pay off your debts so that you don't owe anybody anything. You make sure your generator runs and that it has gas so that when the power goes out, you can crank it up. You're jumping the gun. Well, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> to be a responsible person is to make sure that think you have your ducks in a row so that yeah. you don't have to deal with difficult times. And all right, so what is it? The Survival Podcast says um, helping you live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Right. Right. That's the kind of the idea is you want to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Right. So you do whatever it takes to not have to worry about anything. Yeah. But, um, it's so someone who is strives to be prepared is someone that gathers items, informations and skills in order in a variety of ways and to help them in a variety of scenarios, emergency or inconvenience wise. So um, what would be some reasons that you'd want to be pre- a prepper or be a prepared individual? Like there's two main categories, right? There's acts of God. And then there's the other ones, right? So, like, weather, disaster, fire, health, uh, decline in your health for you or a family member, death of you or a family member, right? There's those sort of scenarios. Then there's other things, too, like a loss of job, supply chain issues, which we don't know anything about, do we? (laughs) What's the matter? (laughs) He's staring at me, guys. Um having a loss of power, you know, things like that. Um, and all, especially the other ones, those are easy. Like the loss of power, you can have your blackout kit, which we talk about in another one, you know, and things like that. But all these things we can, we can do things now that would make it easier if we get to those situations later on. 
So how to do that, you would need to have a plan for the most common or likely disasters. That's where you need to start, right? So well, you say that, but you have to think in the same in the same breath. You plan for the most likely or common disasters, and you plan for maybe that job that you're going to lose, right? Well, I would consider that so you a have, likely you disaster. Have a, you have a net, well, remember that whole acts of God versus the acts of man, right? Right. Okay. Natural disasters are one thing; losing a job is another thing. But they're not they're not that far removed. One requires a lot of financial stability in order to come back from that disaster. Yeah. Get fired, right? You have insurance that helps, but it's not going to take care of everything. True. So the more financially stable you are for just in general, the better you can recover from a fire. True. Right. And the, the more put together you are, the more likely you are to have like a safe to keep stuff, especially for any natural disaster, you want a spot to keep Things dry and away from flames so that you don't lose birth certificates and social security cards and things of that nature, right? And then, But in a loss of job, you want to be able to be financially stable so that you don't have to worry about paying your mortgage, that you can go and find a new job right. and not have to stress about it and cause yourself to have a coronary. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's not really that far removed, but they are kind of, they're nuanced and they're, the difference. Yeah. But if you've got a nest egg of, you know, three or four months worth of mortgage payments, that gives you a little bit of leeway. Right. So I would consider a loss of job a likely disaster. I mean, almost anybody is going to have a job firing or a reason why they'd have to quit a job. And maybe that means you're just moving to another job, which wouldn't be as big of a deal, maybe. But that would mean that you'd have to have the skills and the know-how to be able to reach that. Maybe that also includes being able to do an interview, right? To do an interview well, even if you've been at a company, your same company for 20 years. Make sure you get chat, chat GBT to write your resume. <laughs> yeah, but know what it says. <laughs> or what was it that I, I listened to a thing today that said that, like, if for some reason you have a period of time that you didn't work, right? You were right. just off. What you do is you just mark it as a period of time that's not worked. And when they ask, you say, well, I had to sign an NDA, so I can't talk about that. Oh. And it shuts them down. They can't say, ask you anything else about it because it's a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Just a little cheat code there. <laughs> All right. So um, in order to, be, to move forward and be more prepared, you want to accumulate your items on hand for the particular particular disasters that you're looking for, right? And in case of the certain emergencies, because remember, we're, we're kind of thinking along the lines of knowing the situations we're going to prepare for. Well, what kind of items? Are, are we well, that depends on the situation that we're going to go for, right? So what are some examples of things that we'd want to do? We went over weather in a previous episode, episode eight, we talked about severe weather preparedness. So if anybody wants to deep dive into that one, you can definitely go back and listen to that episode. Um, we've talked about health and dental. Uh, we haven't talked about that, sorry. But, you know, if... Well, sort of. We talked about first aid. Yeah, we talked about first aid. I don't have that one. We didn't talk about the dental part. But. No, um, but my idea on that one is, like, you either are going to have health insurance, right? 
or you need to make sure you have money set aside in order to be able to take care of it. Really, in any situation, if you're going to be a prepared individual, you're going to have savings to be able to help you in case of an emergency. Yeah, or but situation. that's complicated because the way the tax law is written, unless you have health insurance, you you incur a tax penalty. But I don't think it's that no. bad anymore. They they waived it for a while. They're trying to bring it back. It's when those. That's why MediShare and stuff like that exists, right? Yeah. They don't intend on you actually using it because they're too strict on what it should cover and not cover. It's just there so you don't have to pay a tax penalty. Mm. Paying the serv- the the um, the fee to get into it costs less than the tax penalty if you weren't to have insurance. Okay. Well, like I know MediShare works for some people very well. I some think people. it I think it depends on if you have a lot of um, pre-existing conditions and things like that. Like I know that we were looking into it. Yeah. For our when we were doing a lot of therapy for our children. And they don't cover pre-existing conditions at all. Yeah. Right. But that's the problem with the whole thing. Um, whatever it's called. The Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act. Right. The ACA. Is that they made pre-existing conditions a coverable thing like they have to cover it or you get penalized so now all the insurance is cut rate because of all the pre-existing conditions that they're having to pay for yeah it's part of this part of the issue well anyway so i think each individual family each individual person has to take a look into that for themselves but that would be something that you would want to take close attention to so let's have to say um for Lots of jobs. We already touched on this, but you want to make sure that you pay your debts off as much as you can, that you're frugal, that you know frugal things, right? Frugality in the kitchen, frugality when it comes to buying things, being able to refrain from going out and just spending tons of money all the time. on Frugality versus cheapness. Yes. Yes. Right? Because that's a big difference, too. That's true. You can go to Walmart and buy the $30 set of pot and pan. Yeah. That burn out and break within, you know, six or seven months. Or you go and save some money, use the ones that you got from when you were married, you know, <laughs> that wedding gift, right? That everybody has, the pots and pans. And then you, you save some money and go get that all clad set. Yeah. That you don't have to worry about again for. You know, right? Yeah, 20, 25, 30 years. Or if you're lucky, you just let people know that's what you're looking for, and then all of a sudden, people start giving you stuff. Yeah, that happens <laughs> too. So, um, and you know, I think generally preparedness, everybody knows this, but saving money is such a huge part, and it's a hard thing to do. I, I'm going to go off topic for a second here because, like, you know, Dave Ramsey, his first thing is saving money, right? I know you want to die right now, bringing the name up, but I was in the car with my mom and he comes on the radio station that we were listening to. And the person's like, I can't, well, I don't remember the exact thing, but whatever it was, I was like, mom, that wouldn't be an option. Oh, it was like, she was trying to decide if she needed to build her stockpile of money to eight months expenditures instead of just six months before they started trying to go buy a house. And, um, I said, 
I mean, I find it hard just to put the six months right now. And she was like, well, most of these people probably aren't making the same thing you are. A lot of the folks that Dave Ramsey talks to are people that there's like three specific things they fall into. A, they were career bound to begin with, and that's what they're focused on. B, they have no kids. And C, they have a freaking $100,000, you know, $200,000 a year job. Yeah. Well, not everybody, though. But, but yeah, these are the same people that'll call. You'll have that one guy that calls and says, hey, I'm 35. I've already saved up, you know, $2.5 million in the bank because I work this job that makes $100,000 a year and I still live with my mom. Right. <laughs> Can I retire early? And then you have another guy that says, I'm married. I've got one kid, but I'm $2.3 million in the hole, but I make $250,000 a year. <laughs> it's like, wait, how did, sorry. I... Dave Ramsey is just, I'm, I'm over him. I think... I'm sorry. He backs Bobby Likas car clinic. Yeah, and I know. I know. And... You can always glean the good stuff from people. I mean, but he is a little bit ridiculous. I don't know. Like, his answer to everything is you can eat rice and beans. You can eat rice and beans and make sure you put every cent that you have in the money market account. Right. Because the interest rate is higher than a regular checking or savings account. And it's, like, next to nothing anymore. It's crazy to me. And, like, you you can only cut so much. But, anyway, beyond that. Um, so, for supply chain issues, I think we've talked about that a little bit here too but i would say we call it homesteading right you start making your yard your house work for you you start learning how to plant seeds and grow food this can be for any other kind of natural disaster while that you wouldn't be able to get food to but you also have to think when you have a supply chain issue you don't just pick up and start growing animals or raising animals and growing a garden and being successful that first time around. Right. There's growing pains that come with all of that. Oh, I didn't say that before all this being prepared. Isn't waiting until these things happen to get ready. You've got to have like a bill. Either you, there's good times. You start your homestead. You learn how to slaughter chickens. You learn how to deal with rabbits. You learn how to grow a garden. You learn how to be successful in doing all that. Or you stockpile. Yeah. Rice and beans, you know, the, the little bit of rice and beans that yeah, <laughs> we talked about. You stockpile stuff like that. You do copy canning where you go and, you know, you make a lit. I, have we talked about copy canning really? I don't think we have. So this is something that Jack Spirico um, kind of extols is that you make a list. And basically, whenever you take anything out of the cabinet to cook or eat or anything, you write it down. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you take it out, you star it. And so the things that have the most stars next to them that are being used the most, you go and when you find that stuff on sale or you go to the store to buy, you know, to replace it, instead of buying one, you buy two. Right. And each time you go, instead of buying one, you buy two. And each time you use one, you put it on a list to buy another one and you buy 
two instead of just one. Or double the amount that you normally would. And so you, you build up the stockpile of stuff that you know you actually eat. Yeah, th- that's the key, too, that you're building that stockpile that you actually eat, which we have talked about slightly in, like, the hurricane preparedness. Yeah. Not to stockpile things that you have never cooked or really don't like because it's not helpful for you to have 70 cans of tuna fish if you can't stand the stuff. Don't like it. Uh-uh. It won't help you at all because won't you it. won't eat it. Mm-mm. And everybody thinks, if I'm starving, I'll eat it. Nope, you won't eat it. Trust me. Trust me. I will not touch a daggum tuna fish can anymore. If I ever see one, I will puke. That's it. Because you're you're more likely to just be in a hard spot needing to eat the food you have I'll eat than to be literally dying of starvation. I'll eat gravel out in the yard with some grass on the side. And we talk from experience on that. Because we were in a hard spot where we had to eat into our stockpile of food. And there were a lot of items we would not touch. I mean, we did relatively well. But the candied yams... <laughs> honestly, I don't know where those came from. But we didn't like those. We didn't like the canned ham. We did no, try that, to use that. That was that not was nearly horrible. as good as I was expecting it to be. Horrible. Maybe there's ways to do that, but... Spam is where it's at if you want a canned meat. <laughs> For real, if if there's anything canned that you want, it's either the canned corned beef, which is pretty decent. It's yeah, it's not. Got to pick it with potatoes, but it's good enough. And spam, spam is just like salt pork. It's like you bacon. It, you eat it. I don't love it. As long as you're frying it, if you eat it, it's cold. It's it's okay, but it's just not as good. But I used to like canned chicken until I decided I didn't like normal chicken. Now, another thing like stockpiling is that you need to know how to stockpile it. Mm-hmm. You don't just take and put, you know, rice or beans in a bucket with no sealant or anything to it. Because we found this out the hard way. You put flour in a big 50-pound sack in the cabinet. The weevils in it will grow. You know what's interesting? It, it actually wasn't the fifty pound bag that they got in. It was a, it was the little it, bags in the, it was the, the little, grocery store. What happened? I think what actually happened is the weevils came in the oatmeal bag. I put the oatmeal bag into the containers that I but I go and I fill a smaller Tupperware container. And, I got and it was in there, and then it got into the small things of like cornmeal. And but like flowers. if you're gonna if you're gonna buy stuff in bulk like that, make sure that you're using it constantly. Don't like. Yeah. Stick it in, especially, don't just put it in a bucket, put a gamma seal lid on it and call it done. You know, you want to like vacuum seal it, put some oxygen absorbers in there to make sure that there's not any area for the bugs to I actually heard a really good um, interview with the guy that sells the discount Mylar bags. And he started talking about how he has discontinued using the buckets at all. Because they're cumbersome, they There's get in no the way, they they aren't a good shape to be able to to stack and things like that. That's why he you actually, use kitty litter buckets. He actually talked about just using like your Walmart grocery bags, the, especially the kinds that are more square in shape. Oh, okay. So you take your Mylar bags or other kind of vacuum seal packages, you put your stuff in it, and then you put it in those. And you just have to be good about taking them out every once in a while and trading out with your stuff. Because I I know that there's some companies that take and they sell, instead of a round bucket, Mm -hmm. they sell those more rectangular, what normally, like the, um, 
that special scoopable kitty litter stuff. They come in the yellow buckets. They're they're rectangular and they can stack yeah, yeah. easy and whatnot. They come in that now, especially because oh, okay. it's got a lid that kind of pops open because yeah. everything's vacuum sealed. So you just pop that lid open and you kind of put through like a little library, you pull out what you need, you close the lid back and you put it back in the yeah. cabinet. I, so it depends on what you're needing, especially where you're putting it. I guess if you were to put it in like a garage, that would be better. But, but if you're putting it in like a closet, I think the bags would work fine as long as you're taking them out often enough to make sure that nothing's getting and like eating the bag or something, but you've got to be careful. I know like for us, we were stocking, um, beans and rice in a cabinet and the roaches started nibbling the bags. Yeah. So yeah. I have to go through well, pretty frequently and put them in Ziploc bags and stuff. Oh, is not our whole stockpile either? Cause we have, we still have some stockpile like that we set up long-term. Yeah. Which that was really experimental the way I did that. So we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> it's experimental and it's stuff we don't eat. I, I'm no longer purchasing beans to stockpile. Well, and that's because Casper can't eat a whole lot of them. Yeah. Casper can't have the beans and the rice isn't good for any of us to eat very often. And I know that in a severe situation, we would make do and eat what we had to. But I know for me, if I am to eat potatoes and rice all week long, every day, my ankles will feel like they're well, and that's kind of 30 the, pounds. That's kind of the point, too, is that you, these long-term stockpiles like that are not intended to be things that you would just thrive off of, right? right. That's why you have you have this group of foods that... You're not going to thrive on, but you'll survive on. And then as you're using the stockpile up, you're investing in this homesteading operation, right? right. So you're, you're also learning planning to garden. and gardening, right? Yeah. And so you eventually transition off of this already prepared food into something that you're having to work for and prepare in your backyard. Right. It's, it's basically, you're buying time with this to be able to invest that time later on in this. Yeah. And I, I think the way that I think about it, it would, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine a time where we would just have to eat rice and beans where we are. It would have to be really bad. You know what I mean? Like to not have anything else. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen like after a hurricane, maybe, but I mean, we I'd stock a freezer than an MRE any day. Oh yeah, that's true. That is very true. They're terrible. Horribly terrible. But I think of like in the little house on the prairie, the long winter, they have this horrible winter and they have these brown, this brown wheat that they were able to glean from the prairie because their wheat crop failed. And they actually didn't even have a meal. They had to make a meal out of the coffee grinder. And they're like having to keep this coffee grinder going constantly. And they're making this like tear, like they don't like the bread because they're used to the white bread oh, at this point. Not- they didn't have a mill. Yeah, like a wheat to grind mill. the wheat. The wheat. Yeah, so they're using the coffee grinder. Yes, in order to mill the wheat. The wheat. Yes, just okay. to make That's... something to keep them alive. You said a meal. I thought. Oh, sorry. Not not like you eat a meal. Um, a mill. A mill. There you go. Yeah. Now I'm talking correctly. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. You need to like. Have something on your land, even if it's very small, that you can garden 
or trade with somebody that does garden near you, right? That's always an option too, or raise meat on your property of some sort. And there's different ways and avenues to be able to do that. Right. Cause you, you, not everybody can have chickens. Right. Right. But you can have rabbits in your house. True. Or quail in your garage. Yeah. And you, you know, a rabbit, a, a rabbit trio can put 200 pounds or so of meat in a freezer and, you know, like six months or so. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a pretty good return. Um, and then people that have small backyards don't think that you have to have a garden that's two or three acres. No. Right. You can use, there's all sorts of different methods that you can use. Some of them are less sustainable than others. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like mid lighter, it's a, it's a high production method. But it relies on fertilizer. Right. And it relies on micronutrients. Which can be problematic because if, like right now, some of the fertilizers are difficult to get from Russia or whatnot. Well, I mean, we, we've had a good stockpile here. So the the more available ones, right, you can still go to Lowe's and buy a 40-pound bag of 13, 13, 13. And you take that and mix it with the micronutrients. It's not the ideal ratio that he recommended. But it'll get you there, and it'll get your garden going, and it'll get you a crop that year. Yeah. Right? But you're not building the soil. Yeah. Right? So there's different avenues to look at and how to go about your garden, but don't think that because you live in just this little tiny plot of land that you can't do anything. I've met several homesteaders, like, that live in downtown Pensacola with these tiny little lots, and they're, like, they've got all these spinach plants. Yeah, in apartments. Right. Raised beds on the daggum balcony. Yeah. They're out there growing tomatoes and cucumbers and whatnot. It's just about getting started and learning what you've got and then taking it from there. Because people, mm-hmm. we we have a lot of ingenuity when we get out from in front of the screens and away from our work computers. It's amazing. Um, if you are to have like a loss of power, we've talked about blackout kits before. We even um, briefly discussed it today in episode four of blackout kits. Um, even something as simple as like a move, right? This is, this is kind of probably pushing the preparedness a little bit for Charlie's sake, but like, think about it. We could have to move in a few months for some unusual reason. You know, you get a new house or you have to go take care of a family member. We talked about like the disease, right? So somebody gets sick and you need to go take care of your mom in a different city or a different part of the city, right? You need to be able to re- be be ready to know what you need to take with you for an event like that. And I think really the thing that I'm thinking of in that is to, even when you, Charlie's look at me crazy, in your preparing and being a prepper, I think it's still important to keep in mind your priorities, your hygiene products that you absolutely must have, not that you want, but that you need, your clothes, paring them down and not keeping like all five sizes that you've worn in the past 20 years in your closet, right? Keeping things easier for you to be able to maintain, right? That's kind of really where I'm getting at is that if you make things difficult in your life, in your home to maintain a sense of ease within your home, then it's hard to be able to move forward in any event that would change the home, right? So 
Um, the closet's a big one, actually. You, you're talking more utility. Yeah, yeah. Like um, convenience or whatever. Right. You want to get, find the pair of pants that you enjoy, get three or four pair of those. Find the shirts that you like, get three or four shirts of those. Yeah. Don't. Don't have like eighteen. Don't be a maximalist. Different. Yeah. Right. But don't be like that whole minimalism you, thing. It's yeah, not you really minimalism, it. but it's it's kind of like yeah. in that whole you want something that can serve a multi purpose, right? So, if for some reason you had to move, if your wardrobe is more tuned toward, this is a slack that I can wear to church, or that I could wear to a job, mm-hmm. or that I could just wear to town and not look over dressed yeah right if you have three or four pair of those and then a pair of work jeans yeah you don't have 18 pairs of work jeans that you don't wear right 18,000 pairs of right these I mean I'm dress slacks I'm seriously I'm coming from the point of you don't need 50 skirts in your closet ranging from size small to extra large even if you've been in all those sizes, no, you don't. I mean, I don't need that closet full of 32, 32s. Now, we are keeping the small amount in that closet for now because we have the room for you because you went back to your sit-in-the-chair job. <laughs> and that's the size you were in after five years of a sit-in-the-chair job. It's like, don't don't throw away your... Well, and that's the thing. It's like, when you grow out of a size... Get rid of it and give it to somebody that could use it. Right. Don't dwell in the past and go, oh, I used to be this size. Because you don't know if you'll ever make it back down there. Right. And Things may times, change. Well, elastics wear out. That's, well, I mean, none of mine had elastic in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of yours did. That's why yeah. I had could wear them no more. But that's another thing where, you know, frugality is better than being cheap. Don't just go to Goodwill and just buy clothes just so that you can have a whole bunch of clothes. Don't just go to Belk or JCPenney <laughs> and buy the Izod's that are on sale because they don't last. Yeah. I had three pair of Izod's that we bought at Belk. No, there is at JCPenney. Bought them at JCPenney and the crotches just went <laughs> and just the seam broke and just yeah. split open. I got those cheap, too. Within three or four weeks of having them. So, you know, find... Your pants, find your shirt, and be honest. What do you actually enjoy wearing, right? I, there's actually some really... Not jeans. <laughs> there's, I'm, I'm going to put a plug in for somebody else here to the Lazy Genius podcast. She, um, Ken, Kendra, Kendra Adachi, she talks about, you know, dressing yourself the way you actually want to dress, right? So, she, And that might mean that you like having a uniform day-to-day or you might just have certain basic things like that staple wardrobe, right? Whether Whichever one fits you better, know what it is that fits you. And try not to be in this um, buying mindset, this consumerism mindset that's thrashed at us everywhere we look on, you know, Facebook, on TV, everywhere. It's just a consumerism mindset to just buy, buy, buy. And that's what we're really saying here. Don't be one of those preppers that just goes out and buys, buys, buys and hoards thing. Because if you can't find it, if it's not something that's actually useful to you or the people around you, and even in that, you can get caught up with keeping way too much stuff. You really need to be careful. If you have items that you think that your aunt's going to need, you know, sometime in the future, 
Maybe see if she wants it and let her keep it. <laughs> right? Well, to some extent. I mean, everybody's going to have things that they, they find an investment and a quality in having. Okay. So if you think it's going to be something that's going to be good for a trade, then definitely keep it, but only keep it if you have the space for it and you have the ability to be able to keep it and keep it well. Otherwise, let it go to someone as a gift, sell it. Because I know here in South Alabama, if you keep some things, it's going to rust. It's going to degrade. It's going to get eaten up by pests. So you have to be careful what it is you're storing because you might not actually be able to find it useful in five years if you hold on to it. So keep that in mind too. You know, that canning, canning pots will last a lot longer than some things, but other things like plastic things, they're just not going to last nearly as long. So I know like in the terms of like kids clothes, every time I get a new size out for our youngest daughter, I am, I'm getting rid of a significant amount of the clothes. I'm trying to keep it down to 10 items within that size. That's kind of what I'm doing. So it's a little trickier because we're South Alabama. We need a lot of summery outfits and then some wintry outfits. So I'm kind of doing 10 of each, but I'm trying to significantly pare down because I have some sizes that's two giant tote boxes full and they're sitting in a, an air conditioned room wasting away and what else would they do they'd sit in an unair-conditioned warehouse of goodwill and waste away too or give them to the charity at our church that gives them out to other people yeah and then the elastics aren't just going out in the bloomers because i don't need 50 pairs of bloomers in the one size yeah. so uh other things that will would always be useful for anybody is a universal accessories kit. You can find out more about that on our um, episode. I don't have the number written down, but it was a universal accessories kit. What is this? What's that? Oh, oh, okay. Another big thing in order to be a prepared individual, if (laughs) everybody likes to talk about if if the poop hits the fan, right? What's most important? You know, we talk about the food, food storage. Make the sure skills. you have a big van that's <laughs> ready to go with a tent. Oh, that's not what we're talking about. No, we're not talking about the big van ready to go in the tent. I'll, but I'll, it is good to have, you know, a get get out of a here car plan. with gas in it. Car with don't gas run in your it. gas tank empty, yeah. and then need to evacuate that night because of some sort of terrible thing, and have to drive two hundred miles. Yeah. On an empty gas tank. Or up to Greenville to see somebody that got hurt, right? Yeah. You Again, don't have time. it doesn't you know, have to be. It's midnight. There's no gas station open and you've got to drive 100 miles. Right. Right. With all the kids. So if you have a get out of here fast bag with everybody's clothes in it, you don't have to think about it. You can just load it up and get going down the road. Cancel your lessons and get going, right? Yeah. Um, but another big thing is... If you have everything in the world and you're prepared on that event, if your body is not healthy enough to take some major event, you're putting yourself at a great disadvantage. I'm I'm feeling this one really bad myself. I guess I, guess I say that, but I have been working on it. I've been going to therapy and trying to build my strength up. Well, and you think about it, I mean, you, 
you're thinking about it from what you're going through, but think like Jack Spierko for years was doing the survival podcast, but was overweight. Yeah. Right. And it was at some point during that whole thing, he's like, I can't sit here and talk about being prepared when I myself can't be, you know, my body's not physically able to go and do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's when he started doing the whole keto thing like five years ago. Yeah. And he's lost a significant amount of weight and he's in much better health than he ever has been. Right. Right. And that kind of goes to the whole, it almost leads into everything, right? If you leave a more sim- lead a more simple lifestyle, you only buy the things that you eat. Mm-hmm. You prioritize those things to be healthy for you. Yeah. You start growing things that you can grow, right? So a- as you go along, you get less carbs and you get more, just more greens and vegetables that are easy to eat, and then meats. And learn to ferment those things that you grow too. Right. And so, so you so make you your own long-term storage too. By being a prepper and having that mindset of, I need to, I need to be in better health and I need to prepare. You can actually put those two together and work toward a common goal. Right. Which is self-sustainability and a better lifestyle. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something that we've been working towards, especially the last, what, three years. Mm-hmm. Really hard. Like the, and we've the, had some setbacks. Yeah. We've had times where we had to use things that we had prepared and used up all of our savings money because of a job loss. But, you know, we're working it all back up. So, but, I mean, you're less likely to be able to grow those inflammatory things. Yeah. That would cause a decline in health on your property. Well, you say that. If I mean, all you grow is corn. You're not going to get out there and grow a whole acre of wheat and then thresh the wheat and have enough to last you the whole year. True. Right? You're, you're going to be more likely to get out there and grow three or four squash plants, a tomato plant, and a cucumber plant, and have some squash, tomato, and cucumbers that you can eat through the winter along with those three or four or five or you know, 15 chickens that you raised and have in the you wanted to chickens or rabbit or maybe you plant more of your garden. You do bigger garden and your neighbor produces the eggs, chickens, rabbits still in the blank or you hunt. Hunting is a really good skill. You don't have to necessarily grow the food. If you have enough acreage or you have family or community around you that you can go to somewhere and hunt the food, that's a great opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's a skill. That's definitely something that we lack here. And then you got something here about community. I mean, we haven't been very good about community, but getting to know your neighbors is an important thing to do. Because, I mean, so right here, we're not super fantastic on neighbors because one set of neighbors doesn't live in the house currently. They live somewhere else in town. And other set of neighbors are behind us, but they're not, they're really technically in a different subdivision to some degree. Although they, they tend to help us when we need them. Yeah. If we do need them. And then you have other neighbors that are, don't care about anything. Yeah. Right. They just, whatever I'm in the house, I'm asleep, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. But 
building a community and it doesn't necessarily have to be next door neighbors, right? No. You can have friends within the same town, within the same county that have a similar mindset or that have a particular ability that you don't have that you can contribute and have them help contribute to. And the more community that you have, the better off you're going to be. Right. Because you're not going to be able to do everything on your own. And family is part of that community. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that too. But, you know, not everybody is going to be in a spot where they've got they have their family mom, family. dad, yeah. grandma, and everybody close by like we do. Right. Right. If you move, if you lived in Seattle and you moved down here, right, you don't know anybody. Right. Yeah. Or like um, Toolman Tim. He's in Canada. Right. Right. He's got a place in Tennessee. If he moves to Tennessee, he's got to rely on the community that he's built mm-hmm. through being part of like LFTN or Survival Podcast or any of this stuff. Right. People that he had no, you know, he was a fanboy. It wasn't until he reached out to Jack Spirko and actually became, you know, he had to put effort into it. Right. He had to build that community. Yeah. Like we all do. And then, I mean, you do the same thing on a local level. Yeah. Right. You find somebody that's got a cow that can provide milk. Yeah. And that may want that extra bag of salt that you have. Yeah. That you don't need. Right. <laughs> oh, Stuff like that. Yeah. And you become so friends. Bartering with systems and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the whole, you know, the counter economy, you know. Yeah. Thing. And I see that slightly on the local level. I know the homesteading women's page, our local homesteading women's page. We do bartering, some bartering and some meeting up during the year and stuff. I wish I saw more with the men and specifically men and women together, but I don't see that a lot here. No, I don't know. It, well, and you know why? It's because the women tend to be the crunchier of the group because the men, especially in Baldwin County, are more likely to be either. If they're like homesteaders, they're either going to be working in an industrial agricultural type scenario or they're going to be working in a more construction oriented scenario. That That is often so the case. So a yeah. lot of the time you don't have the time, the men don't have the time to put in to investing in this type of activity. Yeah, right? unless they're, they're local. I don't know how the co-op is. If they're a little bit more community based at the co-op, we're not something. We're not really into that. The farmer's go up? Yeah. I think they probably have a little bit more going on. Sort of. Not really, though, because really, I mean, if it weren't for the people that were doing the industrial farming in Baldwin County, you wouldn't have the co-ops. Yeah, or, or anywhere, wherever there's a co-op, because they're the ones that are reliant on the being able to bulk order things. And then, you know, you pay a membership fee. And then you've got the the premier. I see. Right. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. You've got a uh, representative body that can order things for you rather than trying to source them yourself. Yeah. I do find it interesting though. Like um, I just met someone that came down and moved to the area and very quickly reached out towards me whenever I let her know about events and I've already met up with her a couple of times and she's only, she's seriously been in the area, I think three weeks. And, um, but the particular page that she was on was not a homesteading page, but she's probably going to end up being more in that group because that group is more active in trying to meet up 
and build relationships and community. So when we talk about being homesteaders, it's really just this idea of, you know, again, building your land and things, but knowing that it takes more than the people within your property to do so. There's always more that you need, whether that's to learn a skill from someone else or to barter something that you don't need with something that you do need from someone else, things like that. And it's, it can really be a lot of fun once you get into it. It just takes a little bit of getting out of this, uh, frame of mind we were forced into a few years ago. And that was really already getting started before that with our screen time and things like that. I've never really liked talking to anybody. That's true. (laughs) You can be a stick in the mud sometimes. So anything else you want to add? Well, all right. We'll add this last piece. Repairedness. Repairedness. Yeah. So Toolman Tim did a whole thing on repairedness, the art of being prepared for house. Being able to repair your house when you can't call somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So building skills to do simple electrical issues, simple plumbing issues, you know, simple stuff like that, and then having the tools on hand, right? Mm -hmm. So. If you've got PEX piping in your house, make sure you have a PEX cutter and the crimper tool and mm-hmm. then some extra PEX fittings or just a PEX cutter and some shark bite um, attachments that you can use as an emergency stopgap. If you need a shutoff valve or if a pipe bursts or yeah, whatever, you know, an extra electrical outlet or two and a light switch or two or three and knowing how to install those and how to turn the breakers on and off. Right. To build a skill set like that, that's something that you, you don't really think about because it's something that's either you think it's simple and that you can handle it or you think, well, if that happens, I'll just call, yeah, you know, the plumber or I'll call the electrician. But when it's one o'clock in the morning and your sink breaks, yeah, you need to know how to turn the water off. Right. And if for some reason the little knob that you turn, you know, the, the shutoff valve under the sink just spins and doesn't want to actually shut off, you need to know how to turn it off at the street and repair that. Yeah. So that you can at least get through the next morning and take a shower. Because if it's leaking and spraying water everywhere in the one bathroom and you get up to take a shower in the morning to go to work, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bad day. Because right. you're not going to be able to take a shower. Right? And, and that, that's another... I mean, that kind of fits with the whole universal accessories kit. You want to make sure that you've got something that you can take care of, simple tasks, or maybe just a little bit more complex tasks. Yeah. To get you through until you can get somebody there to help. So, you. if somebody really has never thought of a lot of this, maybe they have a tiny first aid kit and they have like a tiny sewing kit, but they've never really thought to put these other things in place, where would you get started? Because I know sometimes. It can be difficult if someone's throwing this many things on you at once, right? Like maybe maybe write a list, right, of the top one, two, or three things that you want to get started with, right? Maybe maybe start the list of everything, but then have like your priorities that you get started on. And then just when you're at the store, you know, buy the 
extra pack of beans, right? Yeah. Have your food list. Have your what I need to fix things around the house list. And then have your, I don't know, maybe you're going to work on building up the blackout kit this week or this month. Right. And so you go to the store and you buy, like you said, an extra pack of beans and, you know, a couple more packs of macaroni because your kids like them. Then you go and you go, you buy a package of shark bite shutoff valves. Yeah. And a PEX tool. And then you go and you get a couple of flashlights. Mm-hmm. And with the PEX tool, it might even be good just to check to see if you have a secondary shutoff valve. And if you don't, maybe just go ahead and learn how to do it. Just go ahead and do it before there's an emergency need. Wait, yeah. That would but, probably be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, set, set up these different tiered lists. Right. Have your so, copy canning list, have your Home Depot list, and have your... Yeah. So come up with your categories and then subdivide within that into a practical, easy get started in each of those yeah, categories. You don't One a have, week or whatever it might be for you, but just something to get have started. To everything at one time. You no. Because that would be too much. You don't go out and buy meat rabbits and start a garden and learn how to pipe your whole house in the same well, week. I wouldn't pipe my whole house necessarily. I'm just, you know, giving an example. That would be a lot. But if you have a pump in the backyard and for some reason the city water is inaccessible, you can, if you know how to take that pipe out of the ground and run it to the house and connect <laughs> it in, then you can have. Is that on your list? No. <laughs> Not officially. Not officially. You can't do that technically because they don't want backflow into the city system. Mm, I see. You'd have to cut off the city system in order to be able to do that. All right. But. That's why you put a check valve onto the city system. <laughs> At least that's what somebody told me. I don't know if that actually worked, but. I don't know that I'm following, but that's okay. Put a check valve that only flows in from the city side. So when you turn on the water from the well, it won't flow into the city system. I see. Right, because your well could have contaminants in it. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility to go and test your well to make sure that you've got clean water coming out of the well. Okay. Right. Yeah. But you don't want any, if there's like coliform, fecal coliform bacteria that are in that, you don't want it flowing into the city system because then it can contaminate everybody down the line from you. Gotcha. That's a big liability. Okay. So. so preparedness, we think it's very important to prepare yourself, your home, your family for any kind of emergency that could happen, whether big or small, likely or unlikely, and just making these general skill and system changes to your house can make a big difference. If you like what you hear on the podcast, make sure you can you can support us in different ways, including calling Charlie Small Engines. Information's on our website at colesonthecoast.com or emailing Jessica for violin lessons, viola cello, those things. Also, we have um, a buy me a coffee on our website. You can get on there and give us as little as a dollar or as much as you'd like. If you just want to support us, we are working on some products. So keep up to date on that by listening to the podcast and um, our website and our Facebook, Instagram. That's where we most 
active. However, we have gotten started on Noster. We just haven't posted anything yet because I'm still learning about it. With that, I hope everybody has a good week.